Children, you are dismissed to teach me to worship. I'm going to do something today that I don't normally do. As I said three weeks ago, in the story of Jonah, we see something that we see in the grand theme of all of Scripture. In Jonah, we see God manifest his unmerited love and justice for sinners. In Jonah, we see God's grand theme throughout all of scriptures, that God manifests his love and justice for sinners. And what I want us to see this morning is that if we don't understand this grand narrative, then I truly don't think we'll see, believe, and learn the depths of the love that God has for us as we see it in Jonah chapter 2. Because in this prayer, in this psalm, you, if you have a Bible open, you can see it. This is poetry. This is a psalm. This is a song that God continues to give grace to this prophet, to this saint of the Lord who deserves none of his grace. And I want you to imagine for just a second that you're Jonah. Think of what we read last week and imagine. You've been thrown overboard. You've been thrown off a ship into tempestuous waters. What would you be thinking? What would you be feeling? And I know for some of you it's hard to connect thoughts with feelings, but what would you be feeling what four-letter words would be coming out of your mouth? Hopefully it would be, oh, no. <laughs> Yet I wonder how many of us don't have to imagine very hard what it, would be, what it would feel like to be thrown in a raging sea, gasping for breath. Maybe right now you've been calling out in your distress to the Lord that he might save you. Maybe you feel what Jonah felt at the brink of death. Of being so overwhelmed that you don't know where to turn. Because this is what the text tells us. In verse 2, he cried out to the Lord in his distress, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. This is the place of the dead. And as Brian Esteen says, death in the Old Testament is more than just a physical sensation of life. Death is not limited to merely the point to where the brain and the heart cease to function. Since the fall of mankind, the power and influence of death permeates our whole existence a fact that we are acutely aware of every time we suffer. 
Jonah is physically close to death. And this gives us a picture that is tied to his spiritual condition. And I wonder for how many of us that is true for us this morning. And all you can say this morning is, this is where I am. And if this is where you are this morning, here's my message to you. You need Jesus. Because the message of the gospel of Jesus is that you cannot save yourself. You are helpless. You are hopeless. And the only way out of where you find yourself can be found in the Lord. Because this, this is what has happened to Jonah. This is the true reality for Jonah. Jonah is being judged. From the beginning of chapter 1, we have seen this not-so-great prophet fleeing from the Lord. And in chapter, at the end of chapter 1, in verse 17, we find that Jonah has been judged. Jonah was a member of God's covenant people. At eight days old, he had received the sign of the covenant. He was included into the people of Yahweh. The covenant God and maker of the heavens and the earth. And if you are here just a few weeks ago, Blake taught about this overarching idea of the covenant structure of scriptures. That this view of the covenant helps us understand who this God is, that he so loved us that he voluntarily condescended himself to us that we might know him through a covenant. In the same way we've been given this image in marriage, this covenant relationship where we bind ourselves to another purpose with another person with promises and stipulations. This is what I promise to do. And if I break those promises, this is what will happen to me. Because marriage is a microcosm of the covenant that God made with his people. And in every covenant, there are blessings. If you obey God, you will receive his pleasure. He will bless you. But alongside these covenant blessings, God also promises, if you are unfaithful, if you break this covenant, you will receive its curse. And we see this all the way back in Genesis 2. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what will surely happen to them? They will die. They will experience covenant curse. There will be separation. They will no longer be able to flourish. They will be cut off, cast out. Because there is only true flourishing. There is only true blessing in the presence 
of Yahweh. And we see in Genesis 15, this dramatic covenant between God and Abraham. God told Abraham to sever these animals in two, just this bloody, gory, every middle school boy's dream of just blood and guts everywhere. And typically what would happen is these two members of this party, of this covenant, would walk through the animals together, promising to one another, if we break this covenant, so shall these animals be, so shall we be. Cut. Killed. But oftentimes, in the Old Testament times, what we will actually see is there will be a king make a covenant with those who he rules over. And what would ha often happen in the Old Testament time is that this one being ruled over would walk through these two carcasses. Because the king has to apply nothing. He's the ruler. He doesn't live by the same standards as those who he rules over. If the farmer, this one he rules over, is unfaithful, what happens to him? He is cut. He is cut out of the covenant. He is banished. He is expelled, no longer receiving the blessings of this king. Yet in Genesis 15, we see something radically different. We see that it is God himself alone who walks through these severed animals. He took upon himself all the obligations of this one covenant. In Genesis 15, he says, If I break my covenant to you, Abraham, so I shall be like these Animals, severed, cut off, killed. He made a vow. He made a promise. And then we see in Genesis chapter 17, we see God give Abraham a sign, a physical reminder of this covenant. In Genesis 17, 10 through 13, this is what we read. This is my covenant, which, is, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born to your house or brought in for money from a foreigner who is not an offering who is not your offering, both he who is born in your house and he who is brought in for money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in the flesh, an everlasting covenant. God saying, Abraham, you and your household, you will be blessed because I am your God and I am making this covenant with you. Anyone in your household, anyone who is associated with you receives my blessing because you're mine. Even your children, they are mine because of my relationship with you. But I stopped a verse short. There's something else as a part of this covenant sign. 
And verse 14, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of the foreskin shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. If anyone is not circumcised, who is uncircumcised, will be cut off. They will be cast out. They will receive the covenant curse, which is exactly what happened in the garden. Now, bear with me. I'm getting to where this connects to Jonah. If someone who is part of God's people, a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is included into Israel by mere birth, receives the sign of this covenant, if they break this covenant, they are cast out, cut off, they are cursed and are to be called the uncircumcised. There's the the distinction. There's the circumcised, Abraham's seed, Israel, who walks by faith, and there's the uncircumcised, everybody else, who does not have God's covenant love, who does not know Yahweh as their God, who has not given them this sign of his covenant blessing. Yet what we see throughout the entire Old Testament is that this covenant sign is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. Circumcision, the physical outward representation, was supposed to show an inward truth of the heart. This is what Paul says in Romans 4. Circumcision was always supposed to be a physical sign of the inward reality. Because of God's covenant promises to Abraham, and Abraham's faith in that promise, God gave him a sign as a reminder of this faith in God's promises. And don't you remember what happened in Israel's history, especially in the time of the prophets? God promised, if you do not turn to me, I will cast you out. Over and over again, we hear Israel being called the uncircumcised because they did not follow by faith. This is what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 4, 4. And so because of their unfaithfulness, they received the curse of the covenant. This is why why I'm belaboring this point. What have we seen in Jonah 1? Jonah constantly, constantly is living as the unfaithful Israel. He's constantly showing that this sign of circumcision that he has received is not a true circumcision because he does not follow by faith. And I read this passage over and over, this Jonah 2, as I read it over and over this week, I was constantly reminded of this Old Testament covenant curse. Water. Water is used over and over again in the Old Testament to represent God's covenant blessings and covenant cursings. It was by water that God cursed the unbelieving an evil world in the flood. 
It was by water that God cursed the Egyptians who were trying to take back his firstborn son into slavery. Jonah, because of his faithlessness, has now, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, been cut off. Jonah has become like the rest of the world, the unfaithful. What was the covenant curse that Adam received? Death. What was the curse that the unbelieving world received in the days of Noah? Death through water. Where does Jonah find himself because of his unfaithfulness? Where does Jonah find himself because he's been fleeing from the presence of the Lord? The same place Adam found himself. Cast out. Where does Jonah find himself because he's living unfaithfully to God's covenant promises? The same place the uncircumcised world found themselves in the days of Noah. Drowning in the water. Listen to Jonah's words. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried out from the, from the place of death. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. He was driven out with the exact same words that God drove Adam out of the garden in Genesis 3.21. He has been banished because of his sin. And what has he been banished from? Well, the exact thing he's been fleeing from all in chapter 1. Two times in verse 3, we read, Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. This, this word or this phrase used, the, the presence of the Lord, can also be translated from the face of Yahweh. Because when you're in the presence of God, you you can see you're, you're in front of his face. This is where we get this great benediction from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's because we are in the face. It's because we're in the presence of God that we receive his blessing. This is what Jonah ran from. And this is what we find out. That he's sinking. The waters closed over him to take his life. He was sinking. The deep surrounded him. He was sinking. The weeds were wrapped around his head at the roots of the mountain. Deeper and deeper he was sinking. I went down to the land whose bars closed up over me. All seems lost for Jonah. And this is what we should expect, right? We should expect chapter 2 to follow chapter 1. The continual theme of chapter 1 is Jonah going down. In, verse chap in chapter 1, verse 3, he went down to Joppa. He went down into the boat. He went down into the ship to lay his head. They picked him up and threw him down into the ocean. He goes down to the roots of the mountains and for this faithlessness, for this fleeing from the presence of the Lord, God's judgment and justice has come. Story over. Jonah should have ended in Jonah chapter 2. 
he received what he deserved. And this is my question for us this morning. Is this where we find ourselves? Because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our constant desire to do what we want to do, other than what the Lord has called and commanded us to do, is this where we find ourselves cast out, severed, cut off, banished? Because this is the reality. This is where Jonah finds himself. He has no hope of saving himself. Is this where you find yourself? Because the true reality of your sin is this is exactly where it leads to death. Death is the consequence and the judgment of sin. Death is being cut off from the presence of the living God. Death is God's judgment. But to our surprise, this is not the end of the story. Because in verse 6, what do we read? That God's unfailing mission is not over. We read, yet. Yet. Yet all of this is true. All that has happened to him, he deserved because of his unfaithfulness. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. You and you alone, O God. In spite of my unfaithfulness, you are a faithful God who loves me, and I don't deserve it. When all seemed hopeless and helpless, what was impossible for Jonah was not impossible for Yahweh. His story was not over. When his life was fainting away, he remembered the Lord and his salvation. And he prayed to him. And notice how he prayed to him. In verse 7, When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Tim Keller says, Jonah knew that it was over the mercy seat in the temple of God where he received this promise. Because it was at the mercy seat that a sacrifice and the shedding of blood was made so that Israelites might come in into his presence. It was at the temple that Jonah knew he could enter into the presence of God through a sacrifice. It was through the death of something else that brought him forgiveness and brought him Life. For Jonah, it was through the sacrifice. Through the sacrifice of the shedding of blood of an animal that brought him into the presence of God. And for us, there has been a sacrifice, a shedding of blood that has brought us into the presence, into the face of Yahweh, and his name is Jesus. Everything in chapter 1 describes someone who is faithless. And then in chapter 2, we see a God who is faithful to his people. 
A God who does not deal with us according to what our sins deserve, according to our iniquities. And here's what's incredible. In Jonah chapter 2, we finally see Jonah acting. Acting like a person in God's covenant love. It's interesting. The narrator is now applying the same way that the pagans were acting in Jonah chapter 1 to Jonah himself. What does this mean for us? That whether you're like Jonah, a member of a church, someone who has professed faith in Christ, or you're an unbeliever, someone who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't know this God of salvation, whether you're a Jew, a pagan, a Christian, or Gentile, there's only one place to look for salvation, and it's in Jesus our Lord, who has made a sacrifice so that you might come into the presence of a holy God. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. If anyone didn't deserve to experience the salvation of this God, it was Jonah. He was just like Adam. His sin endangered himself. His sin endangered the sailors on the ship that he boarded. His sin was that he would, would not repent or ask for forgiveness. And yet God saved Jonah through judgment. And this is the story of the gospel. Just as Jonah was saved through death from the depths of Sheol, in the belly of the fish for three days, in verse 6 we see that God brought him back to life, that God resurrected him. It is God who saves us through judgment. Because it was his judgment that was laid upon Christ at the cross. In the same way that God did not deal with Jonah according to his sins, God does not deal with us according to what our sins deserve because our judgment that we deserve for our sins has been placed upon Christ at the cross. It is through judgment that we are saved. It was God's just judgment that fell on Christ, who died, who went to Sheol, to hell, as the Apostles' Creed says. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It was Jesus who bore God's judgment in our place. This is why, this is why Jesus upon the cross shouted out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was cast out for our sin. He was cut off. He was severed from the presence of the Father because of us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And this is what's so amazing about passages like Colossians 2. I actually want you to turn there. If you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 2. If you have a, uh, a hymnal Bible, it's on page 984 or a pew Bible. This is what's so amazing about a passage like Colossians 2, 11 through 12. 
For this is what Paul writes. In him, in Christ Jesus, also you were circumcised with a circumcision not made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful workings of God, who raised him from the dead. By the circumcision of cross of, of Christ, Paul is looking upon the cross, being buried with him in baptism, the judgment curse of God for sinners, in which you, us, the church, were raised to resurrection life with him through faith in the powerful workings of God. Paul is saying, at the Christ of cross, he received our circumcision. He was cut off, cast out, judged in our place. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us, is what Paul says in Galatians 3.13. God's curse fell upon Christ. And if you look to him by faith, your judgment is over. It's finished. It has been accomplished. Christ called out on your behalf. It is finished. Justice has been satisfied. Blood has been spilt. Since we have been justified by faith, what do we have? Peace with God. Because of what Christ has done upon the cross, we now can enter into his presence as holy ones, as saints, sanctified through the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is what's so incredible about what Paul says here in Colossians chapter 2. Because Paul is actually connecting circumcision and baptism, but how is he connecting the two? Through understanding the covenant curse of God. And this is how we should understand these covenant signs of circumcision and baptism. They are the same sign of the one covenant of grace that we have in Christ. They are given to God's people which hold blessings and cursings. The sign of circumcision was a sign that blood must be shed to keep this relationship. In the New Testament, it's now water because blood has already been shed at the cross of Christ. He no longer requires blood from us because the covenant curse has been answered. Now we can get into why this is why we baptize our children. Because this same covenant promise, this same covenant sign that was told to give to Abraham and everyone associated with him, this is how you receive the blessings of God. Receive the, son of it, the covenant sign and everyone who's associated with you will receive my blessing. But if they do not follow that blessing, they will receive the covenant curse. If they do not follow me by faith, they will receive the wrath and the judgment that is theirs in Christ only through faith. Brothers and sisters, salvation belongs to the Lord. We look to Christ by faith for salvation, who took 
once for all the wrath of God. He was cast out so that we might be brought in. It is by grace you have been saved. This is why we come to this table. This table doesn't represent any work that we have done. This covenant table, which should be a curse for us, has become a blessing to us through the shedding blood of Christ. His blood was shed for you. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Brothers and sisters, God has manifested his unmerited grace to sinners through a far greater one than Jonah. Now we too can offer up a prayer of thanksgiving. And we can say along with Paul, death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but will by no means clear the guilty. God visited our iniquity on the cross of Christ. Are you fleeing from this, Lord? Do you feel so far, so distant, even to the point of death? Look to Christ. Look to Christ who through judgment saved you from your sins. The author of Jonah is giving us a very good, clear picture. You want to know what it looks like to flee from the presence of the Lord? It looks like where Jonah finds himself. And it looks like what we see Jesus go to on the cross. And the Lord spoke in verse 10. And the fish spoke to the fish, and it vomited up Jonah onto dry land. Jonah was spat out because God's unfailing mission was not over. Jonah was going to the Ninevites to proclaim the word that had come to him by the Lord. In Jesus, we have the word. And Jesus came to us to proclaim to us that our sins have become up before the Lord. But in Jesus, we find that our sins have been dealt with. God's judgment has come. God could have let Jonah die. 
God could let us die. But it's by grace. But it's by the grace of God that we can find forgiveness. It is by grace that we can come into the presence of the Lord and hear him call to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. This is the gospel. Look to Jesus. Let's pray.